growing up from a family that didn't have a lot, I feel like owning a home is, is even if you feel like, oh, I'm, I'm still broke. If you're able to pay a rent payment, you can pay a mortgage payment. And it's a way that you're putting money into your own pocket in the future rather than paying rent to somebody else. Obviously, there's downsides to homeownership too, but I feel like as far as a transfer of wealth, that's the greatest transfer of wealth that most people have. This is Vets in the House, a co-podcast where we sit down with military veterans to share stories about life, the military, and the good, the bad, and the ugly of buying homes. I'm Chase Blakey alongside Nate Hyatt, and today we're sitting down with Amanda Cummins, a badass lawyer and certified VA benefits advisor who will share some legal wisdom for real estate owners, as well as a great case study on how to get a VA loan house hack started. All right. Well, Amanda, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Sunny St. Pete. St. Pete. Yeah. Fellow fellow Floridian. Yep. I got Nate out on the West Coast. So, uh, well, tell me about what's going on in life right now. Where are you at right now and, and what you've been up to? Um, well, I own my own law firm. So I work mm, a little bit more than part-time. I do family law, probate, estate planning, and guardianship. That's a lot more than part-time. Yeah. yeah, but I, I, I only work like 25, 30 hours a week. Fast. So, yeah. She's got the process nailed down. It's a lot yeah. of big words too. So uh, do you want to unpack a couple of those words for us and explain in uh, Barney style what that is? Sure. Family law includes uh, establishing paternity. So there's two ways to get uh, child support in Florida, and that's through an administrative court order or through a petition to establish paternity. And that gets you time sharing nailed out in a parenting plan that's a little bit more robust than what you would do if you just went through the Department of Revenue. Um, I do supplemental petitions, which are after a final judgment's been issued in like a divorce. So like you are granted divorce or you're granted, you know, paternity and time sharing. If there needs to be a modification, I can do that. Let's see what else. Guardianship. So in Florida, you can do guardianship of an adult or you can do guardianship of a child. So guardianship of, of an adult is usually if the person's suffering from a mental health disorder or a, an addiction issue, which makes them incapable, incapable of caring for themselves, you can petition to be appointed a, a guardian of the person and make decisions for them and also their property if they own property. And then for children, because I mostly do probate, so I deal with issues after people pass away. Um, if a child inherits more than $15,000 from anybody, you have to get a guardianship of the property of the minor. So I help people with that. But most of what I do is after someone dies, we go through the court system to change legal ownership of their property. So houses, bank accounts, anything that's not a beneficiary policy and change ownership to whoever is listed in the will, if there is one, or if not, then it's whatever, how the property passes according to Florida law. Awesome. Yeah. So, and this is, we're already like going a little bit out of order here, but I can't help myself because you're, you're talking about something that's very interesting in the passage of real estate property uh, at the time of someone's death. What, what, what is something that you would say, and this is something I haven't even explored myself really, but what would you say would be important for somebody to make that process run very smoothly as they're setting up their, you know, their entities or their real estate or whatever? 
Well, it depends on what state you're in. So I'm only licensed in Florida, but I know in Florida, if you have a homestead property, which is a property where you reside the majority of the time, you have Florida has some of the best protections for homestead properties. So homestead property in Florida passes outside of probate as long as there's a certain heir. So if you have a surviving spouse or you have a lineal descendant, so a child, a grandchild, it's going to pass outside of probate. So depending on how it's titled too. So it, it also depends on if you're married or if you have another person living with you that's not your spouse, that's on the title of the property, that's going to affect how it's passed as well. Okay. And this concept of probate for listeners who may not know really what that is or how that functions, um, myself included, what can you describe that a little bit? Yeah. So if you think of anything that has a document associated with ownership, so your vehicle has a title, boats have a title, your house has a deed. So there's two things that a lot of people get confused. There's a deed to the house and there's a mortgage. The deed says who owns it and the mortgage says you borrowed money to pay for it and you owe this money to somebody else. So that person has an interest in the home until that money is paid back. But the deed, as long as you're alive, you can transfer the deed to a trust. You can transfer it to a a corporation or a limited liability company, a partnership. But once you're dead, you can't sign yourself off your property. So the court comes in and changes the ownership from the person who's passed away to whoever's listed in the will or whoever law dictates gets that property. That's like the simplest way I've ever heard that explained. Yeah. Pretty cool. It makes it make so much sense why you would want to set it up in a trust or an LLC so that you you have decided instead of the courts deciding where it passes. Correct. Yeah. Especially if you don't have um, a lot of the issues that we see as attorneys are if, if families have a lot of uh, personalities or they don't get along very well. Um, having that document setting up where even if it's just a will that says when I die, I want my property to go to this person, it helps alleviate a lot of the issues where you have people coming in from the woodworks to try to get their hands on a piece mm-hmm. of real property. So that's all that that would be those are your options, I guess, is you set up a, a process through a trust or an LLC that kind of has an operating agreement or articles that define who's going to be getting what when when it dissolves, or if you pass away, if someone passes away, or you just have a will that specifically says this property at this address will go to these two people or this one person? Yeah, there's a couple of tools you can use. So there's a trust, which basically you deed the property to the trust. And then whoever's the trustee of that trust is going to be managing the property, making sure the taxes and utilities get paid. If there's any repairs that need to be made, that that's the trustee's responsibility. So the trust is going to set out who basically has an ownership interest in that property. The will, if you have a will, it just says, when I die, I want my property to go to this person. Um, you can uh, have ownership with a limited liability company or partnership or a corporation. Um, but there are, certain, there are certain tax implications that run along with that. So you may have to pay more in insurance because you're not the person residing there. And you may also have to pay more in property taxes, depending on how it's, how it's owned. There's also something called a ladybird deed, which is where you deed the property to yourself or somebody else for their entire lifetime. And then once they pass away, it goes to the trust. So while, you know, if if I own a property, I can deed the property to myself for my life. And then once I pass away, it goes into a trust. Okay. I've never heard of this ladybird deed. With with it passing into a trust, does that help avoid the 
the taxation situation or what would be the best way to set it up so that you don't get taxed as heavily if you do decide to turn around and sell the property? Mm, all right. Well, there's a bunch of different taxes. So there's, and a lot of people get in trouble for this because they don't do things properly. So there's something called capital gains tax. So if you purchase a property, say you purchase a property for $100,000 and then in 10 years you decide to sell it and it's now sold for $500,000, you're going to own, you're going to owe the IRS what's called a capital gains tax on the $400,000 increase in value of that property. Um, there's also property taxes. So a lot of people will do it. It's, it's basically fraud, so don't do it. But they'll sell a property for cash and or they'll sell it with a mortgage and then some they won't record the cash part of the transaction. So if the house is valued at 500000 they'll sell it to a friend or to a corporation for you know $250,000 with a mortgage record that mortgage and then they'll get the documentary stamp tax which is something the county does and then pay cash under the table for 250,000 for the rest of it that's fraud cuz you're defrauding the the county from those documentary stamps for the full value of the property and then there's also the property taxes which depending on how your property is owned so if you have homestead on your property it's your primary residence then you get tax breaks. So you get property tax breaks. You get a homestead tax exemption. Um, if you're a veteran with a disability, you can get a tax exemption. If you're 100% disabled in Florida, you don't have to pay any property taxes on your homestead property. And then those are like three main tax things that I can think of that you need to be concerned about. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And if it does, does it passing into an entity or being a part of an entity, uh, make a difference at all on on those taxes? Or are you just going to get taxed on that regardless? Well, if you speak to the, the county clerk or the property appraiser, they're going to give you specific guidance on how to ensure that you don't have to pay taxes. So if I own my homestead property and I'm going to give myself a life estate, I'm going to have to pay a documentary stamp tax to get my ladybird deed recorded. Um, mm-hmm. But I may not have to pay those taxes as long as the property appraiser knows that I'm still going to be the primary owner, even though it, it's worded a little bit differently. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Can you explain? So trusts are something that I'm, I, I haven't really done any digging on, but I'm curious about. Can you explain why, wh- what is the benefit of opening a trust and, and how that works and wh- what are the downsides of it? I... So a lot of people think they need a trust and you may or may not need a trust depending on your situation. So a trust is a way to own property so that the ownership is not to a single person. It's to this trust. So a trust is basically just a document that says this trust exists. It owns this property. This is the person that's putting that property into the trust. And then this is the person that's going to be the trustee managing that property. So it's a way of protecting your assets from creditors, from liability, and it's a way to avoid probate. So when you pass away, like I said, anything that has a document associated with legal ownership or bank accounts, um, vehicles, that's going to all go through probate unless it's owned by a trust. Then it falls outside of probate because you, the trust is the person that, or basically the person that owns that property. And when you pass, you don't need to sign anything transferring ownership to another person. Okay. What's the difference between really doing that and just setting something up through a a company that has clearly defined? 
They're actually very similar. So the limited liability company is a vehicle that a lot of people use for property ownership. And it's essentially the same thing. You're transferring ownership to a different entity. So the entity can be the limited liability company, corporation, or partnership, or any variation of those, or it can be the trust. Okay. And, and can you, with, with it, with the limited liability company, will you, because in a trust, you can have an executor that's not yourself, that then once you pass, takes the responsibility of uh, executing the, the assets within the trust. Is there something similar in a liability company or LLC that would be the same way? Because if you're the sole owner of the LLC and you pass and there's no one for the asset to go to, and it's just in the LLC. Right. In that case, if you don't have a, you know, it depends on how your state requires you to file your business filing. So with Florida, we have the division of corporations and basically you file your articles of incorporation, which list out your manager, your assistant manager, secretary, treasurer like that. So whoever is listed as kind of like the next owner in line, which you can also list your trust as a second ownership, depending on your state, you may be able to do that. Um, so it, it would fall. Otherwise, you're running the risk of it falling back into probate. Now, this is a this is a question you hear a lot of people talk about, and it's it's always at the top of people's minds when they're talking about setting up and, and getting into real estate, especially on the investing side. When you talk about partnerships, LLCs, and corporations, and I can I can hear the descriptions of these and the benefits of them over and over and over, and I always learn a little bit more when I do. Um, so could you could you share from you know the legal side? why someone would go any of those routes and why they, maybe they shouldn't? Well, there, there are three different ways of owning a business. So the limited liability company is basically, as long as there's only one owner or one manager of that LLC, you can file your taxes with just a Schedule C. So it's basically a way of owning it that you don't have to record separate taxes. You can just report it on your taxes. But if you own it with multiple people, then you're going to have to file like a business tax return for that company. Um, there's different tax structures associated with each of them. So partnerships have a specific tax that they have to pay. Corporations, you have S corporations and C corporations, and those get taxed differently as well. As far as the corporation getting taxed and then the distributions to the shareholders get taxed. And then you have the limited liability company, which is basically just a, a easier, simpler way of owning property through a corporation. Yeah. Thank you. I think that's a good kind of succinct way of putting it. Well, man, we went down like a, a major legal rabbit hole there right up front, but there were so many threads. Nate and I are both, our eyes were kind of like, oh yeah, this is, this is really good stuff. We want to keep pulling on it. So I'm sorry that we, we didn't start off the way we normally do. Um, but let me back out of that Okay. and go kind of back to the generic hello, Amanda portion. And Amanda, can you tell us you told us where you are and what you're up to, but can you tell us a little bit about for our listeners to your military career, what you did, the branch you joined, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Start us with that. Okay. Um, I went to Florida state university, go Knowles. Sorry, not a huge Gator <laughs> fan, um, but I went to Florida state and I wanted to join the Marines. The The time I joined was around, I, 2009, 2010 timeframe. So it got a little bit more competitive for the application process. So my recruiter at the time, so for officers, which are, if you are, have a college degree, you can become an officer. You don't have to go through boot camp. You go a different route. And 
the recruiter, the officer, selection officer is like, yeah, you know, it might take a while for you to get in. I think you should have a backup plan and you should go, you know, go to grad school in the meantime. And I was working, um, I was working three jobs at the time. So I was like, oh, I don't really know what I want to do. I'll just apply to, I'll take the DRE and I'll take the LSAT and I'll just apply to some schools and see if I get in. Well, I ended up, I had like two weeks to study for the LSAT. And so I took the last LSAT you could take, which is a law school admissions test before your applications for law school were due. So by the time I sent in my applications, I still didn't even have my score for my LSAT. But I ended up getting into a couple of law schools. And when I got in, my, my recruiter was like, hey, it's great that you got in. You got selected to go to OCS, Officer Candidate School. And he's like, I know you're thinking that you just want to say, F it. I'm going right in. I don't want to go to grad school. He's like, I was enlisted. I was in the infantry. And this is just my experience to you is you need a career after you get out because the military is not always going to be there, but you need something that you can fall back on. He's like, you're smart. You got into law school. You should go ahead and do that. So I ended up going to law school. I was in the reserves while I was in law school. And then I went to, so I went to OCS. I did 10 weeks direct commissioning in 2011 and I commissioned in August, 2011, went back to law school. And then I went to the basic school in October of 2014. And then after that, I was, um, went to Naval Justice School, which is where all the lawyers for seafaring services go. So it's Marines, Coasties, and our Navy judge advocates all go to Naval Justice School. And then I was stationed at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, where I worked in civil laws. We wrote opinions, advisory opinions for commanders. I worked in legal assistance where we did, you know, uncontested divorces, name changes, landlord tenant issues, consumer issues. And then I was a prosecutor. And most of what I did, unfortunately, was uh, special victims. So I did a lot of uh, sexual assault and computer crimes in, involving children and got out in, I think I got out in May of 2018 and I've been in St. Petersburg, Florida ever since. Yeah. And oh, I know man. we've talked, we've talked a lot about that experience and I don't even, I don't even know if we want to get into the, uh, the latter half of that. Cause I know that yeah. was a really tough time for you. Um, but I do want to say like, wow, for your Oso, uh, to just say, hold on, you need to prepare yourself for a life post Marine Corps, because that yeah. is just not the norm, right? To be like, whoa, wait, 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 <laughs> let's not rush you into this decision. Like, let's yeah. let you make a, a well laid plan for your actual Marine Corps life and career post Marine Corps. Really cool of him to be like encouraging for you to go to wait, law school. Who was your OSO? Uh, Captain Jansen. He was awesome. I, I, I mean, probably like top five positive experiences I've had with Marine Corps leadership was Captain Jansen. So he would, he, I mean, he kept it real. He didn't lie to you. He didn't sugarcoat it for you as like, oh yeah, we're going to send you to officer candidate school and you're going to be a lawyer and you're going to be on the front lines, like jumping out of helicopters, be advising battalion commanders because we detach judge advocates with battalion commanders. He was like, yeah, you kind of missed that rush. And I, I feel like a, a, there was a generation of young officers who kind of got a little misled about what what they were going to be doing so i would say that that 2009 to 2015 time frame a lot of people joined thinking they were going to be doing sexy stuff and they ended up just sitting behind a computer for wow, that doesn't time. sound familiar at all yeah <laughs> yeah no thanks for that so i guess let's 
let's uh let's dial in keep it on the on the lighter side of this but what is maybe one of your funniest or or, or even fondest memories of your time in the marine corps oh i'm sure you have plenty of funny stories about me because <laughs> there was like actually i do i what now that you say that one does come to mind that i think is worth, worth was it sharing. island nav no okay <laughs> Oh, you man. can go ahead and share no, your story. This is actually one of my favorites because it sh- it speaks to the utter unselfishness of you. Okay. In a funny way. It was a land nav course. I don't remember which one it was. And it was like five degrees outside and we were sitting out and I had some bowel issues <laughs> and I really, really had to go. And I was like, I'm out. Like I, I was out of, I, I don't know. I didn't have any baby wipes or anything. I don't remember what it was, but I remember you like pulling a skivvy shirt out of your, your pack. Like one of your only remaining shirts, like we're out there in the middle of nowhere. And you're like, Chase, I want you to have my skivvy <laughs> shirt. I want you to have this. And I was like, Amanda, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not taking. And you were so adamant. You're like, what's the big deal? I don't need it. I want to make sure that you can wipe your butt. It's okay. <laughs> that was classic. I'll never forget how how unselfishly you offered me your uh, your skivvy shirt while we waited for transport out of there. Yeah, I had a rough time because a lot of people don't realize, like, you know, they're like, oh, why does that? Why do the females have so much trouble hiking? Well, it's a little different when you weigh 118 pounds and you're like the wind blows and you fly away and then you're hiking with the same exact weight as somebody who's chases size who outweighs you probably by like 95 to 100 pounds um but i did i do remember we had we had some good times uh we froze my toes have not recovered still um i'm freezing right now in my office and it's like 75 so yeah in saint pete i love it yeah oh yeah Oh, that's good. Um, okay. So we, we, we already kind of talked about where you're at now and, and what's going on. T- tell us a little bit about your first real estate purchase okay. and, and how that went for you. And maybe kind of highlight some of the stuff that you thought it was going to be. And it turned out not being even, even as a, a lawyer who's dealt a lot with this kind of stuff, obviously you have more experience than most, but yeah, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I uh, the house I live in now is the first house I ever bought. So I purchased my home in August 2018. Uh, I used a VA loan. It's been my house since then. Um, I did refinance it, so I refinanced it to take advantage of the great interest rates we had about a year ago. And my newest venture is my house was built in 1953. So the portion that I live in now is like an add-on to my original house, which is teeny tiny, but it's it was originally a two-bedroom, one-bathroom, and then they added on like this huge 500-square-foot master suite. So it's like got a big master bedroom, a full-size bathroom, and this huge walk-in closet. So I just on took me a couple weekends, but I converted it into a studio apartment. So I have a full-size fridge, a little kitchen in there. My last project is I've got French doors coming in because it was like a sliding glass door to make it a little bit more secure. And I have a little mini washer and dryer, which are super cute. They look like toys. Um, so I'm excited to play with them. But those are coming this weekend. But I rented out the front of my house doing uh, short-term rentals. So that's like my latest adventure in real estate. Nice. 
tell me about the, uh, I'm curious about the French doors. I actually, uh, we're, we have a sliding glass door that Hillary is, she's put it on her, her honeydew list to get French doors to replace those. How's that been? And what's like the estimate on cost and stuff we're looking at with that? Yeah, I, uh, I'm very blessed that my uncle who I'm very close with is a general contractor and has been for longer than I've been alive. So I told him, yeah, you know, I just finished it up. I was sending him pictures and told him that I had gotten a quote from one of the big box stores, which I won't name, but there's two of them and you know which ones I'm talking about. Um, I received a quote for approximately $6,000 to install a, it had to be custom because the opening was a half inch skinnier than a normal door opening, the rough opening of the door. So they quoted me about $6,000 for just like the cheapest French door you could get. And so my uncle's like, no, go to my guy. He builds custom doors. So you just, you got to find somebody that's like a craftsman. So I went over to this local door builder and he gave me a quote. It was $1,700. And then I I have another guy, uh, another craftsman, he's coming out to install it. So he's going to do the install for $450. So my uncle saved me a ton of money. That's yeah. Amazing. That's yeah, it does win. definitely help. There's it's interesting like the trade-off of when you go to like obviously the big box stores or you find local providers and, yeah. and having those connections to find local providers is going to be huge. So, that's cool. That's a that's actually a pretty manageable con, you know, considering what that project is, that's that's pretty manageable. Yeah. And cool how you've been able to to kind of hack the house. Yep. And what you're doing is basically house hacking, right? And you're yes. creating revenue off of your So, How's that going so far? I know when we, we had talked earlier, you were kind of just getting it off the ground. Have you actually got some bookings and people coming through? I did. Within like a couple of days of me telling you what I was up to, um, it rented out for a full month. So I have some nice. tenants in there right now running it out. So I made, um, depending on where you live, obviously is going to dictate how much you can make. But for a two bedroom, one bathroom, I'm about 10 minutes from the beach, uh, seven minutes from downtown St. Pete. And six minutes from the Tropicana Field and the Rowdy Stadium, um, I was able to make after my property management fee uh, twenty eight hundred bucks this month. That's so awesome. able to cover all of my living expenses and then some. Are you in property management? Are you? Is it? Are you're going with uh, Vacasa, right? I am. I'm using Vacasa, and I'm sure you could do it yourself for cheaper because they do charge a percentage of your your income uh, from the property but I did not want the hassle of having to market the property managing the different platforms in which you can list your property cleaning the property and I just wanted someone else to do it I'm going to see how it works out this year and then if if I like it and it's worth it then I'll just keep having them do it for me yeah, you're you're much more I subscribe much more to your mindset when it comes to managing property. There are some people who love it. There are some people yeah. and I know and that truly love the hospitality factor and they really want to be involved, even with all the chaos that that can happen. Um, I'm not one of those people. Uh, I, yeah. I very much align with you on that. I, yeah. I love having a property manager who can just handle everything. Um, and in the world of vacation rentals, I think a lot of people get into it and think it's going to be this like rosy venture and it's all going to go super smoothly. But it doesn't always happen that way. And I think for in your case, why you've been able to suit it up so easily is because you did it as a house hack in a place that you've already been living in. And you just validated, here's the the profit projections from a manager who knows what they're doing, can come in and take care of it. And you're there too. 
Um, yep. the, on, the on-site nature of what you have with that makes it even, it kind of reduces your chaos and risk even more because you can kind of see what's going on and put eyes on stuff. Yeah, I really like it because if if there is a party there, if someone's doing something they shouldn't, obviously you can catch it. So I'm not worried about someone coming in and destroying my property. I know I've heard horror stories of that happening, but being on site, I think kind of reduces the risk of having somebody do something that they shouldn't be doing in your house. I mean, I've only seen my tenants twice. I've like waved to them, but you know, other than that, I don't interact with them at all. My house is totally blocked off from them. So we don't share any space. I can't hear them through the walls or anything. So it's, it's worked out pretty nice. And I only have to clean 500 square feet of house. Oh, you do the cleaning yourself? Just oh, no, in no, my area. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was like, wait, I thought they cost anything. Yeah. Up, so. I am not cleaning. <laughs> no. I That's love amazing. cleaning. I have OCD, but it's like with all the other stuff that you have going on, if you can pace, if you're never going to see the money anyways until it hits your bank account. So if, you just pay someone else to do it for you. That frees you up to do stuff that you actually want to do. Yeah, that's great. I want to talk about one thing, a point of clarification. You used your VA loan for the purchase, right? I did. So when you when you refinanced, you used the Earl? Yes. Okay. The um, Just for folks who are listening to this, getting kind of familiar with the VA loan, a little point of education right here. You're able to rent it out using your VA loan because you purchased it as a primary residence and you are house hacking a component. You, you, you are the primary resident. And so you are opening up a, another room for rent. A lot of people get twisted around the axle on the VA loan that you can't use it for an investment. In this case, you could have from day one, you could be doing this because you were living in the place yourself. So that's, that's kind of a, a common misconception. I think uh, important to point out here. Uh, pretty cool that you, you got that going though. One thing that uh, I just wanted to jump in and ask. So it's your first property and you bought it when you got out of the Marine Corps. Is that correct? Yeah. What was what was the thought process behind uh, not buying at Lejeune while you were there and waiting till you got out to, to use your VA loan? Um, so I was not sure if I was going to stay in. Um, originally, I would have loved to stay in, done 20 plus years and retired. But um, I have like the, the craziest story of the Marine Corps. So I got diagnosed with lupus. I had had these symptoms going on that, you know, people are like, yeah, you look fine. There's nothing wrong with you. But you're telling them you're not fine. You have all these crazy, weird symptoms. So it took me about a year and a half to find a medical provider that was like, yeah, you're not crazy. Like you're borderline dying here. We have to get your your body under control. So. I knew that I was going to be medically boarded. So I was put on a medical separation board. So I didn't want to buy a house if I wasn't going to be there. So I waited, you know, it took about two years for the whole medical board process to go through where I was ultimately medically retired um, because of all the conditions that I had. But I didn't want to risk buying a house and then feeling like I was stuck there because I also didn't have any family there. And with all the medical stuff, that was going on with me, I kind of needed to be somewhere where I had family or friends close by that could help if I had an emergency. Sure. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. It looks like you're handling and managing very well now though. Yeah. You would be surprised the amount of stress that just existing in the military gives you. Uh, I, I had the most fun that I never want to have again. Oh yeah. I, I made amazing friends like Chase and our little fire team that we made up because there were certain people that we, 
I mean, I love my fire team. <laughs> I can't say the same for his fire team, but everybody in his fire team. But so we kind of like my fire team was awesome. And then we kind of made our own fire team. So uh, we have like a little happy hour once a month. And then my two other lawyers that I worked with, we still have like a group text because we like are obsessed with 90s wrestling. So we have a good like meme sharing text string going on. Yeah, she did say 90s wrestling. Yeah, I did. <laughs> tell us tell us about your 90s wrestling obsession. Oh, wow. Um, where do I start? So I was... I grew up in the Bible Belt, so I wasn't allowed to watch WWF. I was allowed to watch WCW because there's more PG. So my favorite wrestler of all times, hands down, is Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Can't change my mind. He's the best. Eddie Guerrero, I was a huge fan of him. Um, obviously, we liked Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Randy Savage, Sting, the Ultimate Warrior. We liked all those guys, Mick uh, Foley, Vader. The rivalries that they had, the different heels they had coming and going. Um, so I've always been a fan of wrestling. But it. the 90s was the best time. The 90s was the best time. Why is why was the 90s better than now? The stories were so much better. Like, it, like first of all, Chris Jericho, love him still to this day. He's hilarious. I never want to be on his list, but he put <laughs> just about everybody on in their stupid mom haircut on his list. Um so I love Chris Jericho, but the stories and the relationships were better. I feel like in the nineties and late nineties, two thousands onward, I feel like it just kind of got into like who takes the most steroids. And even though they're not supposed to be taking steroids instead of like dudes with dad bods, just hitting each other with metal chairs and two by fours. I think that was way better. That is a, it's a great way of breaking it down. Kind of makes me want to watch like 90 wrestling. You should. It's great. <laughs> I'll be honest. When we were doing this podcast today, talking about 90s wrestling, not anywhere on my radar of where we were going to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, that's awesome. It's funny. I have a funny wrestling story, but Lex Luger is a wrestler from the 90s, and he actually, I believe, lives in the Tampa Bay area, which is where I live. And one day I had a missed call, and it said Lex Luger. And I was like, there's no way. There's no way it's him, but I was too afraid to call him back. And so <laughs> that's the biggest regret of my life because it could have been him. It could have been him. I can't believe you didn't call him back. I know. That is awesome. Yeah. That was a great, that was a great little rabbit trail. That was mm-hmm. fun to get. <laughs> um, all right. So back to uh, the topic of real estate and just where you're at. Obviously you've got a lot of things going on, successful law practice um, and a million and one animals at your house that you share the space with, which are really cool. But where, in terms of like your goals, as you look forward, where does owning real estate play into that for you? Well, I definitely think that it's the biggest transfer of wealth from one generation to the next. So if you think about a lot of people, uh, a house is a way of saving your money. So every month you're paying a mortgage payment, you're building equity in your house and you may not have the fluid cash. So you can't just go to the bank and take it out. You would have to refinance if you did want to take some of that equity out of your house. But I feel like as far as building wealth, it's one of the easiest vehicles for doing so. If you don't have, you know, resources like, you know, my family was poor growing up. My my mom and dad were on WIC. My dad, I didn't really see him until I was like 10 because he was working all the time. So growing up from a family that didn't have a lot, I feel like owning a home is, is even if you feel like, oh, I'm 
I'm still broke. If you're able to pay a rent payment, you can pay a mortgage payment. And it's a way that you're putting money into your own pocket in the future rather than paying rent to somebody else. Obviously, there's downsides to homeownership too, but I feel like as far as a transfer of wealth, that's the greatest transfer of wealth that most people have. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, I absolutely love that description. Just uh, the, the paying yourself, transfer of wealth, building your own equity, even if, and like, especially your point of if you can make a rent payment, you can make a mortgage payment somewhere. I mean, you yeah. might not be able to always afford at, at different places, but somewhere you can. And it's just such such a big deal. I just love that breakdown of of how you said it. It's so simplistic and so concise as to one of the greatest benefits of just owning your own residence. I was going to say a lot of people are, you know, with especially with social media now, I'm not like a huge social media fan, um, but a lot of people have this unrealistic idea that, you know, I have to move into this house, this new construction, or it looks a certain way, or it's already renovated. And, you know, I have to show, you know, how great I'm doing. Whereas if you stop caring about fake social media and what everybody else thinks, and you start doing what's actually best for you, you can live in a house that's older or that needs some, you know, renovations. You can do the renovations yourself, save a lot of money. And then you know that they're done properly because you did them or you, you know, the person that did them rather than, you know, some investor coming in and just doing everything as cheap as possible not paying for permits that need to be paid for and not pulling them, hiring shady people and just having stuff done improperly, which is going to cost you money in the long run. So it may look great when you buy it, but sit in there for a couple of years and stuff starts falling or breaking. Whereas if you're, you're into delayed gratification and just putting that gratification on hold, you can do it yourself and you can actually buy maybe more property or a bigger house. That's just not as pretty on the outside or inside as you would want it. Yeah. And I think the, the, what's interesting when you walk forward with that concept, like, okay, you're putting money away, you have the equity, but you also have the realization that over time and looking at the appreciation in the last few months doesn't really make sense. But over time, as you have whatever your property is, and as it appreciates at the national average, you're getting that growth on the value of the home, which you didn't pay for. Up right. Front, mm-hmm. right. Instead of a stock account where you have to have money to get the growth of that money in the stock account. So if you got a $200,000 property versus $2,000 in stocks, you're getting appreciation over time on that asset as opposed to your $2,000 in your stock account, which is going to be a much larger amount, which is a, a really cool factor. And, and obviously, you know, when you're buying real estate, you don't just bank on appreciation. You don't just bank on equity and those things. You need to make sure you can survive what you guys were talking about, the cash flow factor. But yeah. that, that nevertheless does transform wealth in a pretty powerful way. Um, one of the things you hit on that I want to drill in, and we're kind of winding down on our time here, but I want to drill in on I think you embody really well the concept of kind of the internal scoreboard and not keeping up with the Joneses and just having your own kind of vision and sticking to who you are and what you're doing. Um, can you walk us a little bit through how do you cultivate that mindset and how do you protect it? Mm. I mean, I'm a strong millennial. I um, <laughs> a- Any stereotype about millennials, that's me. Like the bleeding heart wants everyone to get along, sees the issues with society and past generations. And we, we kind of had that luxury of growing up where we didn't have computers like we had today, but we had computers. So AOL Instant Messenger taught us how to type 150 words per minute. And we had, you know, social media before it was social media that it is today. So, you know, and 
if you wanted to hang out with your friends, you had to call the house phone and talk to their parents and see if they could come hang out with you um, that weekend or something. So I think it's a generational shift that we've seen is a lot of people are more insecure about where they're from. But, you know, as someone, like I said, who grew up with nothing and then, you know, have gotten out of that, not just, you know, I've had advantages that other people don't have, but I've also, you know, worked pretty hard to get where I'm at is you waste so much time portraying this fake idea of what your life is like and you try to impress everybody. It's exhausting. If you just stop caring what everyone thinks and focus on yourself and what's best for you and not what's going to impress somebody else, you're going to be saving money. You're going to be eating better. You're going to be taking better care of yourself. You're going to have better friendships. I mean, I always say it's better to have no friends than fake friends. So if you focus on what's important and your real friends are going to be supportive of whatever decisions that you make about what's best for you because they're rooting for you. They're, you know, they're your friends. They're on your your team. They're not going to be hacking you because, you know, you don't live in this big luxury house that you really can't afford. The only reason you bought it is because you wanted to impress people. I love that. We get uh, some pretty good nuggets. We we got legal wisdom. We got some real estate house hacking wisdom. We got some (laughs) life wisdom all all in one session. All in one. Awesome. (laughs) Well, Nate, you got any last questions? That, That pretty much boils through everything I had. Well, my favorite question to ask is what's, what's a book that has really spoken to you or helped you or uh, that you would recommend um, along, along your journey? Ooh, I am a huge reader. I love reading books. Um, I imagine that's the only way you can get through law school. I don't like reading those kind of books. <laughs> <laughs> I do, obviously, because you have to always keep growing. But hmm, I have a lot of books here from college. I'm a nonfiction fan. Uh, I, or I'm sorry, I'm not a huge nonfiction fan. Obviously, I was a history major, so I had to read a, a lot of nonfiction. But as far as I like historical fiction books or fantasy mm. books, I'm a huge nerd. So obviously, What's your I like favorite Harry historical Potter. fiction. I don't know. I've read so many. I there is a series by this author called Stephen Lawhead, and he wrote a a kind of Robin Hood types trilogy, and I really like that one. It's called hood and scarlet and i forget what the other one's called but i read that like probably about 10 years ago i find myself reading the same books over and over again like every 10 years like obviously i'll reread all the harry potter books lord of the rings books i'm a huge lord of the rings fan um yeah big nerd love it yeah i haven't read the lord of the rings ones yet i, I feel like what? I really. yeah i know i haven't read them i, I feel like i really should yeah you must <laughs> Yeah, I was at the movie theater for like every opening for all of the Lord of Rings, did Harry Potter. Up? I did not dress up. Um, I wasn't that nerdy. I wished I had the courage to have done that, though. I did have <laughs> friends that dressed up and okay. did the live action role playing. Nice. Um, I wish I had the courage to do that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, that's great. I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna check out that that series. You, re- I love historical fiction as well. So I'll probably be looking into that Robin Hood one you were talking about. I wrote down the the names of it. So yeah. Um. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I know you got a lot going on. Thanks for sitting down with us and sharing some wisdom. Uh, a lot to unpack from a lot of the stuff that you were going over today, which is is really cool. And always, you know, it's great to see you. If you're listening to this then you're missing out. Check out our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and website for more tips. You can find the link in the description for the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions about anything you've heard today, 
please reach out to us via text message or phone call at 858-633-1775.